Welcome back to the Sports and Show podcast. It's an honor to be coming to you again. And thank you all for choosing to listen to me right now during this podcast. This week, I was honored and I just had a great time speaking with Amy Merrick. She is one of my past journalism professors, and she is also a contributing writer to The New Yorker and also just a wonderful person. And I was just so pleased to just sit down with her and talk about things she's done in her life and her inspiration of just teaching students and making them better journalists. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Here it is. I grew up in Wheaton, which is about an hour outside the city. And when I was in junior high, I had a teacher who basically, she introduced me to the idea that you actually could write for a newspaper. So we had a seventh and eighth grade newspaper. I think I wrote most of it. And (laughs) I would just do little things like go up to teachers. I'd go up to teachers and ask them questions about things they were doing. And it was very scary. And then I'd do little write-ups and she would print it up. And that was basically our newspaper. And then we had a great newspaper in high school. Peg Olson was the advisor. And that was much more... We did real reporting, and we tried to talk about things like mental health. Um, That was the first time that our school had a a group formed for LGBT allies, and so it was an interesting time to be in high school and to write about some of those things, and to their credit, the administration pretty much let us write about whatever we wanted. And so I got some of that training really early, just being afraid and asking questions anyway and learning how to communicate things in ways that other people would connect with. Wow. So that was kind of how things got started. Wow. So do you remember what your school's paper was called in high school? Um, I don't remember, and I definitely would not say that I was a great writer, nor would I say that now. I would say that I'm still an apprentice. I'm still learning. I hope to keep learning forever. I remember making some reference to Picasso's painting Guernica in a high school piece and I thought I was so cool and then another student pointed out to me that it didn't make any sense because the painting I referenced was actually in black and white and I was talking about colors. I think I continue to make mistakes but I always try to make new and different mistakes in my writing and so hopefully in that sense I keep growing. You went to Northwestern Mm-hmm. Obviously, you yeah. want to continue on writing. Uh, what was what decision led up to you going to Northwestern for two times? I really wanted to go to the journalism school there, and that was the biggest driver of it. Another one was that my parents didn't go away to school, and the, the idea of going far was something that was very difficult for them. So it was an hour and a half away from home. So... It was far enough that I couldn't realistically live at home, but close enough that they were comfortable. So it was a good match in that way. Um, I wouldn't have changed it. I loved going to Northwestern. I had some great teachers there and a a couple of people who really kind of changed the course of what I ended up doing. Yeah, like Northwestern is known for their prestigious journalism program. And what was it like being in that environment for you? Did you grow so much as a journalist there? I remember being kind of panicked most of the time because the standards were really high and the standards were really high for a lot of very particular things like AP style 
and punctuation and even the news quizzes were really difficult. So I remember concentrating on those classes with all of my ability. But I took classes outside of journalism that were wonderful too. I took a modern women's literature class that I loved. I took a 20th century American literature class that was amazing. Um, I even got to take a neuroscience class, which was really cool mm. for one of my science requirements. And I think a lot of those things helped me figure out what my interests were too, in terms of what I wanted to write about. But what really affected the course of my career was that um, I met Alex Kotlowitz, who Alex had been a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. He had done a story about two kids and a housing project that turned into the book, There Are No Children Here. And I got to take a nonfiction seminar with him. And that was really what set me on my path because he asked me if I'd ever read the Wall Street Journal. And of course I hadn't. I don't think I'd ever really even looked at the business section of any newspaper. But he pointed out that there was great feature writing and that you could pretty much turn any story into a business story because every issue of significance involves money and power in some way. And that understanding those dynamics was really important to understanding how the world operates. And so Alex was the one who convinced me to look in that direction. And it ended up being one that I felt was really personally satisfying and got to do a lot of stories that meant a lot to me. What was the first story you did in college that dealt with money and power that you felt was like, man, this is a great story. I love this and I'm going to continue on doing this. I don't really remember doing any great stories in college. <laughs> I look at the stories that my students do now and I'm amazed that they can pull them off in the way that they do. My In between my junior and senior years, I was an intern at Fortune magazine. Wow. And that was yeah. probably the first time that I really did any business reporting. What was that like? It was, so being in New York yeah. and seeing how magazines operated was really fun. The great thing about the program that I was in is that they would take us for lunch at a different magazine every Friday. And so one week we went to The New Yorker and we got to meet David Remnick, who I think had recently become the editor there. And it was like meeting Michael Jordan. You know, I couldn't talk. <laughs> I couldn't do anything except just stare at him in awe. We went to Rolling Stone and some other places that were great. So just that part of the experience was really helpful. And I'm still friends with a lot of people who were in the program with me that year. Working at Fortune taught me a lot about just reporting rigor in general. All of the interns got recruited to work on a project, the 40 richest Americans under age 40, which is the first year that they had done it. And we spent a lot of time just trying to figure out if there were people under 40 that they had missed mm. who were wealthy. And just learning how to do that deep research and spending a lot of time on LexisNexis and finding ways to make all of their stories interesting Wait, was Lexis valuable. Nexus, what's left? Tell me what that is. LexisNexis is a database that you can get pretty much through any university library, mm. and the big news organizations have subscriptions to it as well. It pulls together a lot of different sources so that you can get a lot of things all in the same place. So you were digging through that for a while. Yeah, play. absolutely. <laughs> we would make up games to entertain ourselves, song lyrics and things like that, because we spent a lot of time just going through this research. But... That's what you have to do. I'm working on a project now that's very similar. So 
knowing that you've done something thoroughly and that other people can count on your reporting is really important. And it's really good that I learned how to do that. After Fortune magazine, what did you end up uh, doing after that? So I came back to Northwestern and they had a program that was very similar to DePaul's five-year master's program. And so I, I did that because it was a good deal financially. And there was more that I wanted to learn. So I had specialized in newspapers for my undergraduate degree. And I did the magazine publishing project for my graduate degree where we designed and reported a magazine, came up with a business strategy, and then pitched it to professionals who came in to see it. So I felt like it was great to get both of those experiences yeah. while I was there. Wow. So how, how much did you grow in that year as a journalist, you think? That year was great because the first two quarters, I took a lot of intensive writing classes, which was really helpful. And then the last quarter, when you work on the publishing project, it's nine to five every day. So it's like going to a job. And the standards were what you would expect from professional reporters. And so it was a really good transition from that time to actually starting to work as a reporter. What did you end up doing? Like between that period for uh, myself and going through it, yeah. that summer you're freaking out about what your first job is, yeah. or what you're going to do. Do you have to move back home with your parents? Right. Uh, How did you end up making your decision? I applied to a number of places and was considering a few of them. What ended up happening was I applied to be an intern at the Wall Street Journal for the summer after I graduated. And the bureau chief at the time had already filled his intern slot, but he suggested that I come work over Christmas when a lot of people were on vacation. So I came and did a few stories for him in December. And then a few months later, they got word that their reporting assistant was, I believe, moving back to Mexico. And that was a job that was partly helping other reporters with their work, partly doing your own stories, and partly just office work, answering the mail and stuff like that. And it turned out that their current reporting assistant would be leaving around the time that I was graduating. And so I moved into her job after I graduated which was really fortunate because just the way the economy went, there was a recession that started a few months after I did. And so I kind of scooted in the door nice. <laughs> just when there was a little opportunity. And that's how a lot of things work out is just the timing turns out to be right. Yeah. I know something had to work out because you worked there for over 11 years. So what happened? What clicked for you? Um, did you just find your niche in business reporting? I had really great mentors, all the bureau chiefs that I worked for, the page one editors, other people in the bureau who helped me understand what was the story, how to report it, how to find the people to bring it to life. Even if I had questions about an income statement or balance sheet, because I often did at the beginning, there was always somebody willing to answer a question for me. And I just kept learning. And so I continued to be interested in it, and I got to do a couple of different beats. I started out covering banking, and then did retail, pharmacies, a little bit of the housing market, and then ultimately the Midwest economy and politics. And so I got to write about a lot of different things and figure out in each what were the important stories, what would make a difference for readers to know about. and. The great thing about working in the Chicago Bureau is that people in New York decided what the Midwest was, 
And so they decided the Midwest was everything from Ohio to Montana. And I think the people in Montana (laughs) would disagree about that, right? But that meant if you found a story in any of those places, you could talk somebody into letting you go there. So I reported from so many different states, South Dakota. I was in Ohio a lot covering voting access, which was a story that became really important to me and just got to travel a lot and meet people and hear different viewpoints. And there was just such variety to what I was doing. It was sort of a mix of being a beat reporter and a national correspondent. And so it just kept things interesting. Wow. Are there any other stories through your career at the Wall Street Journal that stick out that you're just so proud of that maybe made it to the first page or just you met a lot of people that you impacted? There were stories that I felt like I was glad I was able to get them out there. I don't know what impact they had at the time, but I felt personally that it was important to do them. I remember there was one story that I did that preceded a lot of the coverage of the opioid crisis, which now we're very familiar with, but at this point it was very early. And it was a story of a woman who had gotten addicted to opioids because of her terrible migraines that she had. She worked in a doctor's office and apparently the doctor that she worked with felt bad for her and continued to prescribe them for her. Well, what happened was she was driving home, I think, and she had taken these painkillers and she swerved off the road and she killed someone who was fixing a flat tire. And there was a question of whether the pharmacies that had given her the prescriptions were in any way responsible for this death. Because the state of Nevada had passed a law that said pharmacies had to be notified if a patient was filling a lot of these prescriptions every month and seeming to get more pills than would be healthy for a person. But the law never said what the pharmacies had to do with the letters that they received. So they didn't do anything with them. So the pharmacies had received letters that this was happening with this woman and didn't do anything about it. The case made it all the way to the Nevada Supreme Court, which is why I wrote about it. And it ended up being very evenly divided. The case was so controversial that the court issued its opinion on Christmas Eve When you read the opinion, it was very bitterly divided uh, between the judges, and they ended up narrowly deciding that the pharmacies were not responsible. And it was just a story where I felt like it was representative of a lot of hard decisions that were going to have to be made in the future in terms of legal responsibility, ethical and moral responsibility, And just a sense of how do you figure out what to do with patients who, many of whom are in a situation like this woman found herself. I thought it was important to do the story as a representation of some big issues that I thought needed to be considered.
And I think that now the reporting that people are doing to understand the situation and figure out what to do about it is really valuable. And so when I read things now, I'm really glad to see the work that people are putting into it. Time for a quick break. Just want to make sure you all remember to give this podcast a rate on iTunes. Also, be sure to give us a review just so I can know ways to improve this podcast and how to make your listening experience much better. Now back to Amy's story. After a long career at the Wall Street Journal, um, big question, why did you leave? I started <laughs> teaching. I started teaching a night class while I was still at the Journal, and I just loved it. And I just, I honestly wanted to have more time for teaching. And I wanted to try different kinds of writing as well. I had gotten an MFA in creative writing while I was at the journal because I wanted to write fiction and I wrote it very badly. (laughs) And now I think I write it a little bit better. And so I just wanted some more variety. I would say most people at the journal, if you're a reporter, people do it for seven or eight years. Though I know people who are exceptions to that and have done it for decades and are just outstanding. But seven or eight years is typical for a lot of people. And then people will move into editing or move on to something else. So So this wasn't your thing, editing? It was just more long form? I I like editing more now that I've been teaching and that I've done some editing professionally. At the time, I was less interested in it. Now, I find it really exciting to help people with their stories. I think it was just the right decision at that point based on what my interests were and what I wanted to learn next. Wow. What school were you teaching at while you were at the journal? I was teaching at DePaul, actually. Okay. My first night class was here, and so I started as an adjunct and then eventually moved into a full-time position here, and that opened up in 2015. So this is my third year teaching full-time. Wow. What do you enjoy most about teaching? Because I can tell you're passionate about it and you love helping students out. I love the collaboration that I get to have with students. Students bring all kinds of ideas for stories that I never would have considered because they bring different perspectives, they have different experiences. And so they have all these exciting ideas and I have some experience that hopefully I can lend in ways to report stories how to deal with difficult situations, how to find records for things. And I hope that by providing some of those resources that they can tell stories in a way that's meaningful to them and is meaningful to their audience. So putting those things together is exciting for me because I never know exactly what I'm going to get when I go into a class. I'm surprised constantly and that's what makes it really fun. Experience that firsthand. Yeah, you're a great teacher, one of the best I've had so far. Explaining, um, just being kind and respectful to everyone, no matter what their journalism experience is. Um, that's awesome. Uh, and you're also in, um, in 14 East, mm-hmm. in SPJ. Mm-hmm. How do you find the time to do so many things? Well, it all ties together. So the things that we're working on in classes are also things that apply to 14 East. And one thing that's important to me is to try to get students published as much as possible while they're here. So 14 East is a great avenue for that. Um, The magazine is so much fun that 
I honestly don't notice the time that we spend on it because I, I just enjoy it. And that group of editors, they are really driving everything that happens. I'm there to advise, but it's their publication. They're really an independent publication and they do a great job with it. And it's been exciting to see a lot of the things that we've done. I wouldn't have proposed myself like the anthology, the print magazine that they did last year was not something that I had planned. They brought that to me. They figured out how to raise the money for it. And it was really exciting to see that come to life. And SPJ builds on things that we're already doing with the community. It's a great way to connect people who are working in the field with students. SPJ has led to a lot of students getting jobs or making great contacts. And those are things that would be important to me anyway. So SPJ is just an avenue to help me fulfill that goal of helping students find a place that feels right for them in journalism and take the next steps after graduation. Do you think that's like the most important part you try to imply in your teaching and, and helping out the clubs is to try to get them? What do you, what do you try to do? What's, mm. Yeah, That's such a good question. It's interesting because I'm teaching senior capstone right now. And one of the things we talk about a lot in the class is what is the purpose of your education? And part of it, of course, is to get a job. But that's not all of it. I think a lot of what I'm trying to do in journalism classes is to help students make connections with the wider community around them and to be able to listen to and understand a lot of different perspectives and to understand that their experience only gives them one piece of the puzzle and that there are a lot of other people out there that they can learn from and maybe give them a platform to share their experiences in a way that would connect with an even wider audience. So a lot of those things are just part of being a good citizen and being a good human being. And so I hope that my students will go into journalism, and a lot of them do, but even if they don't, those are things that should prepare them well just to be a valuable member of the society that we live in and are all trying to make our way through as best yeah. we can. <laughs> yeah. I know you write for The New Yorker. Mm-hmm. How rewarding is that, being able to do some magazine stuff with them? And um, you just had the story with Toys R Us closing up. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. How's that for you? Sure. I really like magazine writing. I really like finding different ways of telling the story and trying to provide a story that hasn't been told in the same way elsewhere. And that's the benefit of having at least a little more time than if you're working for a daily publication. So I had an extra day or so to work on the Toys R Us story, for example. And that gave me a chance to do a little more digging into the history of the company and hopefully write some things that people didn't see everywhere else. The New Yorker has such an incredible staff of editors. It's really a privilege to work with them and they just give such excellent guidance in terms of often taking a point in your draft that might be smaller and recognizing the potential for it and asking you to open it up and to dig one layer further with it. And that can be all the difference in creating something that's really memorable. So to work with them 
is a great privilege and it's always exciting to see how a piece turns out because it's it's going to be better than what you could have done with it by yourself. So I give them a lot of credit for that. What do you want journalism students to take from DePaul into the future and to make an impact like you are doing now? And uh, what's been the most rewarding part about being a lecturer and a journalist in your career so far? Mm -hmm. Those are really good questions. (laughs) I want students to recognize that they can make an impact with their work because there are so many great examples of journalists in Chicago and elsewhere who are doing that, who are telling stories that really make a difference and really trying to understand different communities and every day are pushing themselves to do better. So I want students to push themselves in the same way and not just seek a career that's financially satisfying, but one that's going to be meaningful to them for many years and that connects them with their community in some important way. So that's my hope for my students. And I guess what's been most rewarding for me is seeing them do that, following my students after they graduate and seeing the work that they're doing. I find really impressive and as The years go by to see that network of alumni then help the students who come behind them find their first jobs has been such a great experience. Because I think that ideally what we're all trying to do is motivate ourselves to do the best work we can. And then if it's going well, then help somebody who's coming up after us do the same thing. And I think if you focus on those two things, doing the best work that you can and figuring out how you can help somebody else reach their next level, I think your career is always going to be rewarding if you can do those two things. Yeah, that's true. So um, do you see yourself here in a few years still teaching, still doing a little bit of journal or magazine writing? Man, I hope so. (laughs) I'll be here as long as they'll have me. They won't be paying me, and I'll still be showing up trying to do something. Awesome. Yeah, I love it here. That's good. I yeah. didn't even ask you, what do you do in your like spare time, like away from journalism? Yeah. Away from from this, do you, I know you run marathons. Mm-hmm. Like, I go to do? Cubs games. Okay. Um, I have several book clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I see my friends. Um, my family all lives in the area, and I have a lot of cousins, so we do a lot of family stuff together. Um, and all of those things fill the time pretty well. Good. Good. I feel like you're a busy, busy lady, but I, yeah, you like get it that way. everything done. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Yeah. Well, thank you, Amy. I appreciate your time. Thank you all for listening to the Sports and Show podcast with myself, Adi Amy Sosina. I had a wonderful time talking to Amy. She is a wonderful professor and writer. And be sure to check out her work at The New Yorker. She just finished up writing an an article on Toys R Us. And she couldn't tell me what her next story was, but she did say that it was going to be a big one. So definitely look out for that on The New Yorker. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a rate so you can make sure that you get the podcast when they drop. I want you all to have a great week. Enjoy everything that you do. Be smart. Don't do anything stupid. See you next week. Yeah, I wish you saw the bigger picture I wish you saw the bigger picture If I make it, I come back to get you It's clear as day, but you don't see the vision I wish you saw the bigger picture What we 
God deserves some patience, cause this ain't no finger pain. I wish you saw the bigger picture. Beautiful and modern, all the same. But what's a photo if it's out of frame? I wish you saw the bigger picture. I pray you see the bigger picture. I call your phone, you don't pick up, you text me. Too late to come back, you say my art ain't even half the way it used to look. The colors that I chose to compose my last masterpiece wasn't worth the cover of a